Hello and welcome to We Came From The 80s, the podcast where we talk about movies we thought were cool. I am Farron, your host, in accordance with the prophecy, and I'm joined, in accordance with the prophecy, Heather, who has a strange mark on her arm and will bring down an evil queen or some such thing. Hello. Ignore the bird. Ignore the bird, yeah. So we are doing Willow, and we decided this, I think, like, just last week, because I saw the trailer for the Willow television series, which looks terrible actually but like there's 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 nothing to do with this story it's over but okay i think it's disney plus is doing it isn't it yeah i, I think so I, yeah i haven't even seen I the trailer <laughs> i went it's, oh no thanks yeah the trailer is warwick davis introducing the actors and them saying i wasn't even born when that movie came out which is the perfect reason why you should not do this shit but the original movie is pretty good you know that it's the right choice yeah it was just wow Anyway, Willow premiered on the 20th of May, 1988. It was directed by Ron Howard, who's an excellent director. I mean, he's done so many good films. He starred, his first big one, I think, was Splash. You know, the mermaid thing with uh, Tom Hanks. Uh, He's actually directed Tom Hanks a whole bunch of times. Apollo 13, The Da Vinci Code. He's done a bunch of these. You know, he started off as as an actor. But he became a director, and he's a really good one. Um, he is the one who, well, rescued, I guess is not the, the right word, but he's the one who was brought in to finish Solo, the, oh, the Star yeah. Wars film. Yeah, yeah because they, it was such a disaster, and Disney wanted someone who they knew could get it done on time, on budget, without dramatics, and that was, or without drama, and that was Ron Howard. He's really good. It's based on a story by George Lucas, one of his few original ideas-ish, uh, other than, you know, Indiana Jones and Star Wars. Uh, the screenplay was done by Bob Dolman, and it stars Val Kilmer, Joanne Wally, who, by the way, became Joanne Wally Kilmer after this movie. Um, <laughs> yeah, that, that's how they met. But you could tell, right? Like it's it, you could you yeah. can tell they that they had some chemistry there. It, it was very obvious. Uh, Warwick Davis, who of course is Willow, and a couple of noteworthies: Gavin O'Harely. He played Eric, the redheaded guy. Who leaves Mad Mardigan in the uh, in the cage? Oh yeah, he passed away this week. Oh. Um, he's a really good actor. I've seen him a few other times. He played. He was in. He was in Superman three. He played the guy who was always chasing Lana Lang around or Lana Lane, whatever her name is. He was in uh, one of the Sharp movies. He played an American colonel who had fled after the revolution. You mean you're not a gentleman? No, sir. By God, Sharp, this will not do. All my officers are gentlemen. That being so, sir, I think we should introduce ourselves like gentlemen. Quite so, Captain Leroy, quite so. My name's Leroy. Mighty pleased to meet you, Mr. Sharp. From America, sir. No, sir. From Virginia. Captain Leroy is one of those brave American loyalists who refused to accept the ravages of democracy and whose father fought for his king against Washington. Washington won. And now worked with the British. Uh, he's just a really good actor. He he never had a starring role to my knowledge, but he's just really good. And Pat Roach is in this. He played General Kale, the guy with the skull mask. We've seen him before. He played the big Nazi in Raiders of the Lost Ark, the one who fights Indiana Jones and gets killed by the uh, the oh, rotor blades of the flying wing. Yeah, 
Um, and he plays the funniest, the inadvertently funniest character in this movie, General Kale. That guy is hilarious because all he ever does is yell in declarative statements. Find the child! Kill them all! These tacos aren't sitting well with me! Like, it's hilarious. Like, he's just... But all he ever does is, like, declare things in a, in, in a yelly tone. Like, he must be just a darling to invite to dinner on staff night. You know, when the, when the queen has all, the, all, of her, all of her managers come in, you know, he, he must be fun. But uh, anyway, this was rated PG, and the music was done by James Horner, who really should sue be sued by James Horner, uh, who did Kroll and Star Trek two and three, because it's the same music again. It's, <laughs> it's, he definitely has a sound. He does. Um, but the theme music for Willow is wonderful. The title music is, is magnificent. Just like it was in Kroll and in Star Trek two and three, which shared the same, you know, the same piece of music. But the problem is they're sort of ongoing music. It's all, it's all the same, like for movie after movie, it all sounds the same, which is too bad. I mean, this guy passed in 2015. He's done dozens of movies or maybe he's just done one. I don't know. But you know, the cert, the guy was certainly a working composer, but man, he, he found an easy way to do that. But, you know, play the traveling music. Yeah. And so this movie was made on a budget of thirty five million, uh, which is pretty impressive. It made fifty seven point two. So it didn't quite hit double. But, you know, in the 80s for a fantasy or sci fi film, that would have been viewed as acceptable. I mean, thirty five million. That's a lot of money. And I think the only reason he uh, that that budget was as big is because who the writer and producer was George Lucas. Mm hmm. You know, I don't think that anyone else would have been able to manage that. At least I don't think so. Um, so had you seen this before? Oh, many times. Yeah, it was uh, it was a ch- childhood favorite. Oh, OK. Um, and then I haven't seen it in probably 30 years. Did it hold up? Uh, yes. At, at first, <laughs> like right at first when they were kind of starting slow i wasn't sure but then by the end i was i was back in love with it yeah i i haven't seen it now in about five years i'll say and the things i didn't like in 1988 i still don't like and the things i i I liked in 88 i i still like like nothing my opinion actually hasn't changed much other than i'm much more cognizant of how generic this fantasy is the child the the prophecy, the old dudes with the beards, the yeah. like it's, but what I think makes this one different. And, and it's what I noticed back then is the acting Val Kilmer, who plays this guy, Mad Mardigan, who's the rogue. 
and uh, Joanne Wally, who plays Sorsha, the daughter of the queen, they had like their interactions. They had a, they just, they worked really well. I enjoyed watching the two of them interact and watching him interact, watching them, well, mostly him interact with Willow played by Warwick Davis. It was interesting. I, I enjoyed it. I, I enjoyed watching them. Uh, and I think that's what stuck out to me. And and it still does. On the other hand, the special effects are garbage. Like they're so bad. They're, they're all, you can see the black outlines and yes, like it, it's just awful. And that's shocking coming from George Lucas, but you know, seeing the troll, like the one good one I saw was when the, from the distance, you see the trolls climbing on the walls of that castle. And that's mostly because they filmed them. Like yeah. they're not like they just filmed it and, and combined two shots, but most of it, like the two headed, whatever that was, that looked like something out of a, a Ray Harryhausen uh, movie. Uh, the, the two little pixies oh, I could have done without. Brownies, oh, yeah, they were the brownies. Yeah. Uh, well, they were annoying. The French act, the bad French accents. It was Kevin Pollock and I don't know, someone else. I'm guessing they went for just two stand-up comedians. I could have done without them altogether in that film. Like they added nothing. I still don't like them. I didn't like them then. I don't like them now. Uh, they added the love potion. Well, there's a thousand ways you could have done they that. Could have, they could have got around it. Yeah. Yeah. And there's only one thing that I really love now that I I frankly just didn't notice, and we'll come to that. And that's the uh the Grand Wizard uh among the uh the Elwins, among the midgets. Uh the guy played by Billy Barty. There's something I noticed about him that just endeared me to him in a way that I thought, ah, whatever. And we'll we'll talk about that when we get there. But it, it's very, very cool, and it makes this film a lot more intelligent than I realized it was. But anyway, yeah, and that's and that's what I appreciated yeah. about it was the detail. Like yes, it went yes. to the trouble to tell you like it was like one line and it explained a bunch several times. Yeah. Like there, yeah. you know how many times we've said, you know, one more line or five more minutes. They yeah. took that one more line. They, they, they took that five more minutes to make yeah. it a complete story. Well, and you see that in the, um, in the running time, it's, it's two hours and six minutes. Now, probably 10 of that is, is credits, but it's still effectively a two hour film. And you're absolutely right. They take the time. It reminds me a lot of, um, uh, Dark Crystal. The difference is that whereas the Dark Crystal filled in the details visually, here there's not a lot visually, so they tell you. You know, and the things they don't tell you, you you can sort of figure out, but things you need to know, they stop, they take a moment, they explain them. You know, I can't help but think that in, a, in in the hands of a lesser filmmaker, the woman who played the sorceress, the one who starts as the animal, would have been just some hot babe and they would have moved on. You know what I mean? That, that would have been, oh, isn't she hot? And they would have moved on to that. Here, they took the time to show that she's older. They give her a, a little, you know, a scene to sort of mourn the loss of her her youth and what that means. And they sort of move on from there. And it's it's kind of cool. You know, things like that. It's it's nice to see a film that takes the time to add the little bits. Um, and part of that is George Lucas, but a lot of that, I think, is Ron Howard. Yeah, not, for sure. Not, cut, not cutting bits. Like, I'm sure a lot of these complaints we have in movies, I'm sure if we could find the shooting script, we would find those bits. Like in Fright Night, the explanation for why it is he has a an oiled, an old oil uh, painting of Amy 
the guy's girlfriend. Mm-hmm. I'm sure that line is there. That scene is somewhere was probably filmed, but they didn't think we'd care because they knew we'd lean, you know, we, they could lean on us knowing about vampires here. They take that extra time and I like it. I really, I really appreciate that. I respect that. So anything particular that stick out to you that sticks out to you that you want to note in advance? Mm, I totally forgot Val Kilmer was in it until the credits rolled. I'm like, oh, really? yeah. Wow. If- okay. I, th- I think I've said this before about other movies. Like, there's bits of it in my memory, yeah. and then and then thirty years later, and I watch this movie, I'm like, that's where that's from. Yeah, yeah, you have mentioned that, and it's and it's true for me too. Like, I have this scene in my head. Where does that come from? You know, it's funny. I just watched Rocky two. It was about two years ago. My only memory from or Rocky three. Sorry, it's the first of the Rockies that I actually saw. My parents rented it. It's the one with Mr. T. And I have this distinct memory of Polly, Rocky's brother, throwing a beer bottle at a Rocky pinball machine. And I couldn't remember what movie it's from. And lo and behold, it's from Rocky Three. The only thing I got wrong is for some reason in my head, the, the um, pinball machine was in a parking garage. Don't ask me why. I was combining two scenes, which is him throwing, being in a drunk in a bar, seeing the Rocky pinball machine and breaking it with a beer bottle. And then in the next scene, Rocky bails him out and they have a screaming match in a parking garage. My memory had combined the scenes. They were three minutes apart in the movie. That's pretty good. It's been a long time and I've seen a lot of movies, but uh, yeah. Anyway, let's go through it. Let's see what we see. Uh, the movie starts off with a baby being born in a, uh, oh no, does it start with the baby being born or the, the lettering? Yeah, it uh... starts off. Yeah, it starts off with the with the title cards. Prophecy. You know, there's a prophecy, blah, blah, blah. Girl will be born. She will bring down the King Bav Morda, whatever. We go into the dungeon where this girl is born. She's got a kick-ass tattoo on her arm, which was, I think was just like the letter F, which probably stands for, hey, Bav Morda, you're fucked, but I don't know. Um, <laughs> that's just, that's my headcanon. I'm going with that. But uh you know that it's funny because you see the priests and, and and these priests, they rent their their services out to every bad guy in half the movies we've seen. It's some dude in a cloak with a long gray beard. Yep. Like, is that a requirement for the for the Sears Union? Like, is that a thing? I think so. <laughs> if, if 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 you're an evil seer bidding doing bidding the bedding, every yeah. Yeah, doing the yeah yeah <laughs> yeah if you're that guy, that's what you look like. The end. Yeah, it's it's a it's a requirement. If you want your union card, you gotta you gotta foresee the uh, the death of your employer. You gotta grow a long ass beard, and you need that monk's cloak. Some there's somewhere in in, in Hollywood, this some guy who just makes these cloaks all day, and is taking orders six months in advance. You know, like it's just it's just kind of. I just have to laugh. I'm sorry. So anyway, they do find, you know, the child, the mother convinces a, uh, a midwife to haul the kid okay. off. You know, the midwife manages to escape. The, uh, the queen gets pissed off, has the mother killed. And then actually, we, this is where we get the, the credits, which is the midwife escaping through the mountains and, and, and through the forests. And we get the opening of the Willow theme. You know, we make fun of James Horner a lot, mostly because it seems he had a period in the 80s where he just phoned it in. But the title music for this movie is magnificent. Like the Willow score. You know, if I were to collect 
the music, like the um, the theme music from eighties films, this this had this would have to go on the playlist. It's just such good music. And anyway, they you know the the dogs who've been sent to hunt her down catch up with her. She puts the kid on a biblical set of reeds that God has placed there to haul off to Israel. Wait, no, um, sorry, that's the Old Testament. That's, but that's this a is different story. Yeah, yeah, but it's the same thing. I mean, it's. This is my one complaint with the movie story is that it is as ridiculously generic as a fantasy story can get. Like oh, up yeah. to this point, nothing interesting has happened. The only interesting thing is the music. So she puts the kid on, on this bed of reeds, which is conveniently waiting for her, sends the kid off and these angry dogs come and devour her. Now, look, I'd be angry, too, if I was forced to wear that shitty mask and the fur that they put on those dogs to make them look scary. Like I'd be pissed off too. Yeah, I'd be uh, I'd be grumpy. Yeah, uh, the animal handler must have had a hell of a time with them because dogs, you know, don't do well when you put a big plastic mask over their face and all that costuming. Those dogs must have been unhappy. Ah, oh, they were and just it, well trained. They were they're they're just like I can I can train a dog to do anything. <laughs> that's good. That's good to know. <laughs> the question is whether I should. Right. Fair enough. So the uh, you know the baby sort of heads down the river and is found by two Elwyn children. And what's the proper term? Is it dwarf? Is it little people? I honestly, I honestly don't know. I think I'm just going to go with little people because that's what Warwick Davis is. Because he suffers from, is it dwarfism? Yeah, I think it's dwarfism. Um, yeah. I'm not sure. And there's, there's different, there's different versions and there's like, it's, um, it's not an area that I'm familiar with. So yeah, I nor I. not tell you what the appropriate word is. Yeah, like like Warwick Davis, if you look at him, like his body proportions, their body proportions are off. The hands are very big. The arms are oddly long. You know, they, they walk with a weird gait. And what I appreciate is that Ron Howard didn't, he could very easily have just, with the exception of Warwick Davis, he could have filmed everyone here the same way Peter Jackson did with The Hobbits. Yeah. It, it would have been super easy to do that. And he could have hired for Willow a full-size actor, but he didn't. He went to the, the small, the, oh God. Okay. The little person community. He hired excellent actors, Billy Barty, Warwick Davis, both excellent. The actress who plays Willow's wife. Uh, she's actually my favorite actress in the entire movie. I think she's wonderful. I think the character is wonderful. I think she's, she acts it so well. I, I loved her. Kaya, I think is the character's name. She's a, Fabulous actress. I keep thinking I should go and see more that she's done. So anyway, these two little little people, children, find the baby. They call along. They you know they call a Willow away. He's plowing his fields, and I love what he's using as a plow animal. It's a pig <laughs> because it, know, makes, it makes sense. Absolutely for, for the Owen, yeah. And yeah. I, I just I just love this village. It's just yes. a normal village. Yeah, it is. And it, it, the really cool thing about it is like, like, first off, let's, I mean, let's catch up to that part first, but um, Willow doesn't want to, to have anything to do with this kid. They recognize it's a Daikini kid, which is to say normal human sized kid, the, the, the Daikini, you know, whatever it's a name, like Elwyn there, like these are generic names. I think they can, you, they could grab them out of a bag of, of Scrabble letters. He runs off to deal with some big bully asshole who I think wants his land or something yeah he's um, the seed guy and he wants to push willow out so he can take his land that's right that's right and you know he says oh one day i'm gonna be a big wizard and i'm gonna you know i'm gonna be the wizard's 
you know, apprentice this year and whatever. In the meantime, he sort of stalks off and the wife hears the kids and hears the baby crying. And what I love is he, you know, Willow goes back to the baby and the mother's got it in the arms and he's standing there. No, absolutely not. No. Yes, you are. Kaya! Oh, Willow. Good girl. Absolutely. Under You're no condition good. whatsoever so is anyone in this family to fall in love with that baby. Yes, you are. Come on, then. Come on. Come on. Come on. Hey, I will not be ignored. And they just <laughs> ignore him. Like, they just walk right past him. It's like, I will not be ignored. And they're just totally ignoring him. I love it. Um, Do not fall in love. Yeah, do not fall in love with this child. That was a little much, but just... I I loved it. It was funny. It was, absolutely. Just the fact that she's not even listening to him. She doesn't know what he said because she's busy looking after the baby. It's pretty adorable. So they take the kid the next day to the Grand... Or is it... Wait, is that first? No, the next thing is the village. Right. So they go to the village and yeah. So tell me about this village that you love so much. Well, it's just perfect. It's, it's in a world with different races. This is the Elwyn village. This is how they live. Here it is. Nothing, nothing. um, Like if they had other, if other people had done it, they would have, it would have had like an undertone of, aren't we good people? Yeah. But this didn't, it just said, here, we're filming a movie. This is what it looks like. Yeah, what I loved is like it's obviously some sort of festival going on because every year the the grand I, I keep wanting to call him the Grand Nagus, but no, he does not rule the Ferengi Empire. Uh, the, grand the Grand Poobah. Wizard, Grand Poobah, the Grand Wizard uh, is going to you know every year he he there's the possibility he'll choose a uh, an apprentice and so it's like a big festival. And what I loved is you see all the dancing going on. Did you notice the one dance where all the men had uh, burlap sacks over their heads? Yeah. They never explain that, but it's the coolest little detail. And if you blink, you miss it. But it's it's neat things like that. I mean, I wonder how much of it is based on actual medieval dance. I mean, yes, I have a degree in ancient and medieval history, but I have no clue. But it's got those feeling, like it's got the feeling of like uh, fertility dances, like this one where all the girls have um, twigs, yeah, in their hands yeah, and weaving through the yeah, weaving through yeah, the twigs. Like, it was so yeah. good. And it's just, it's really neat. And you notice the, like the, uh, the warriors, like it's very clear. They're the warriors of the village and, you know, they're not bigger. They're just, they're the warriors of the village and they're tougher and they've got beards and scary armor. And, and they're never, one thing I'm going to give it, give credit to Ron Howard. I'm so thankful. He never treats these people comically. Ha ha. Look at the short people. He never, ever does that. Like when the, yeah, like that's what I was saying. Like, it's just, it's their village. Here's, yeah, here's the village. Yeah, yeah. and th- the cool thing is that um, even the bully, the seed guy, who's a, obviously he's the bad guy. He's one of the bad guys in the film. When he's watching Willow perform magic tricks, and they're like parlor tricks, like you'd expect from a magician at a kid's party. Um, the guy's impressed. Like he doesn't even pretend not to be like he looks to the people beside him and he nods. He says, wow. Like he does that a few times. Um, yeah. And uh i like that little detail like yeah the guy's a bully yeah he's clearly a dick yeah he wants the guy's land and he's willing to play dirty to get it but at the same time he recognizes a good magician and he's willing to give him props um 
it's the only good positive, it's the only positive thing we see about this character, but the fact that they take that second to include it, it rounds these characters out a bit. Yeah. And then when he does the, you know, the disappearing piglet and it comes from under the table, yeah, the bully laughs, but so does everyone else. That's because it's funny. Yeah, it is funny. You know, and, and people aren't laughing because the big guy's laughing. No, everyone's laughing. He's not cruel. He's he's a dick, that's clear, but he's he's not cruel. And I like that they took that extra bit of time to round out that character just a bit. And this is a, a Burglecut is his name. Burglecut. And yeah. Yeah, and Burglecut could have been a ridiculous 2D character. I mean, he gets puked on, he gets shit on by a, a bird at the end and all this sort of stuff. But at the same time, they still find a moment to make him seem like a, an actual person. And I like that. So then they have the, uh, you know, the, the wizard and, and he does this neat thing where he holds High out Aldwin. his five. High Aldwin? Is that what it is? High Aldwin. Yeah. Aldwin. Aldwin. High Aldwin. Okay. So this is played by Billy Barty. And he says, you know, where does the all the magic in the world reside? And he holds out his five fingers and they all choose a different finger. And he's wrong in all cases. And I started to get the impression that this guy was a fraud. I'll go into that in more detail, but this is where I first started to think that maybe he's not actually a wizard at all, uh, that he's just some dude playing a game. How well do you remember Star Trek Deep Space Nine? Uh, hit and miss. Okay. So, some parts very, very well, some parts not at all. There was a first season episode called The Storyteller, where Miles O'Brien and Dr. Bashir, it's actually their first mission together, go down to this village where there is this old guy and he's like a, he's like a storyteller. And the idea is that every year on three nights, a big monstrous something attacks the village and the storyteller is meant to tell the story to unite the villagers who are otherwise always at each other's throats. And that unity drives off the, the, the whatever, the monster. Mm. Keep that in mind when we talk about the High Eldwin, because I, I couldn't help but connect the two of them. So anyway, Willow chooses the wrong finger and and he fails and that's sort of it. And then the wolves attack. People go scattering. It's very clear the wolves are after a baby because they start tearing apart um, the cradles. And what I love is like the the warriors just sort of get in there. And again, it's not ha ha. Look at the short people. They're they're pretending to be warriors. Ron Howard, like no no, those are warriors. These are the warriors of the village, and those guys are brave as hell. Because like we look at a dog and go okay whatever, but this dog is as big as they are. Like they could ride these things if they wanted to. And they get in there and they're super brave, especially Migosh. I think, is that his name? The, uh, yeah. Something the, like that. Migosh, the name of the, the, the main uh, warrior. Yeah. Like he, he gets in there and he takes him down and the rest of them jump in and kill the beast. And it's yeah. super cool. Um, they protect like, their village. They're the yeah. warriors. I just, I love how, like you put it perfectly. This is just the village. There's nothing, they're not trying to communicate. These people are super nice or super peaceful. No, no, this is just their village. And here are things that happen in the village. They have a, a wizard. They've got businessmen. They've got, you know, festivals. They've got warriors who protect the village. And, you know, they're not like, there's not a, you know, it's not call out the guards. No, it's just a bunch of dudes with, with spears who are probably, you know, everyone probably feeds them, you know, and they've got a nice place to live and that's their job. But that's it. Like it's, there's an internal life to this village that is quite normal. Yeah. You know? Um, and there's, again, there's life in the corners and, and yep. they take the time to show you the, the idyllic Elwyn village. You know what? I actually consider this village scene better than the beginning of Fellowship of the Ring. Because in Fellowship of the Ring, they beat you over the head with how these people don't like adventures and never go anywhere. 
and how suspicious they are of the Baggins family. And that's all you ever really know about these people, how simple they are and how scared they are of the outside world. Here you see a whole world that exists in this valley, in this village. It's so cool. And they are perfectly suited to it. It's, they are. it's their world and they're part of it. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So anyway, they figure out, you know, they have this big sort of town meeting where they, where Willow sort of admits, yeah, we found this baby and, and the, the high old one says, okay, well, someone's got to take it to the crossroads, find a daikini, which is the normal sized humans, give the kid and, and Willow should go. And one of the, you know, some young, some young guy for the village uh, agrees to go with them. And that's uh, what do you call his friend. That's right. That's his best friend. And then the high Eldwin chooses Burglecut to lead it. And you know that's on purpose because, because Burglecut's being such a dick about it. All this expedition needs is a leader. And according to the bones, that leader is you, Burglecut. I love that. And this high Eldwin, like, I was on the fence whether or not he actually had power at first. And then even if he doesn't, he's really good at controlling people. He is. And and this is actually where I'm sort of going with this because, oh. you know, he gives him the acorns, which remember, we find out actually work, right? Uh, he mm. uses it on the troll and uses it on Medmorta at the end or Bad Bavmorta or whatever. I don't know, the, the, the queen. I thought he was a fraud because remember at one point he throws the, the, the stone in the air, turns into a bird and says, follow the bird. And Burglecut says, it's going back to the village. Ignore the bird, go that way. And... <laughs> The, the impression I got was that he was, he had some magic trinkets that he was, he had acquired from an actual magic user, but otherwise his job is to be the smartest guy in the village. His power is wisdom because remember he asks Willow, when you pick the finger, you hesitated, which one did you want to pick? And he says, well, I wanted to pick my own finger. And he says, that was the right choice. That, that was the answer. Go with your instinct. That was the answer. And the impression I get is that, again, the High Eldwin or Aldwin or whatever, these are simple people. It is, after all, a medieval village. He's just the smartest guy there, and it's all about wisdom. And when he eventually becomes the High Aldwin, it'll be because he's been taught to be smarter than everyone else so he can guide them. And it's all about wisdom and doing the right thing and learning the importance of morality and stuff like that. And this is where I bring it back to DS9. The story of the storyteller who unites the village by telling them the story of the first time they came together to defeat the beast. The beast is a hologram projector. It's bullshit. I remember that one. Yeah. yeah. It's bullshit. But it's the way the first storyteller, like maybe, I think there was a beast to begin with, but he realized this is how he keeps the, this is how generations of storytellers have kept the petty jealousies of this village from tearing it apart. Every year he does this pantomime of this beast which is a hologram projector and a wind machine because it's not about magic it's about an idea and the idea of course is that the, the old guy dies and miles o'brien is is sort of made to be the storyteller and of course he doesn't know how to do it and so the beast kind of tears up the village on the second night and by the third night he realizes the truth which is it's all a con it's about uniting the village you just have to be a good storyteller and eventually the you know the storyteller's apprentice takes over and he tells the story because of course he knows the deal this is like that i respect this movie immensely far more than i did because that's super clever 
that this guy isn't actually a magic user. Or maybe he is. We don't know. All he ever has is trinkets, magic rocks and acorns. What else does he do that's magical? Throws the rock in the sky. It becomes a bird. Okay. He has the magic acorns. Okay. What else? Don't know. I don't, I don't, I don't remember. Everything, everything else is just controlling the people. Through his words. He knows. Just be, he, by being the smartest guy in the room, like you said. Yeah. yeah. Like if you remember in the town meeting, remember he, he throws the bones. Let us consult the bones. Willow, come here. <laughs> and then he whispers and said, do you have any love at all for this child? And Willow says, yes. And he stands up. The bones have spoken. Willow will go. That's so cool. Yeah. You know what actually reminds me of now that just popped into my head? Paul Atreides arriving on the planet and his mother is saying they're calling you out as the uh, the voice from the outer world because the Bene Gesserit have prepared the way and they believe you are the Messiah. And Paul says they believe what they've been told. It's the same thing. Yeah. <laughs> it's the same thing, which is very, very cool. You know, I think sometimes we we don't give George Lucas the credit he deserves for how clever Raiders of the Lost Ark and the first Star Wars were and how they weren't, weren't just uh, serial, like sort of high budget serial movies. They were clever and they knew what they were. And this is yeah. the same thing. This movie knows it's a generic fantasy movie, which I think is very cool. So anyway, they're about to head off with uh, the kid and Willow's wife gives him the lock of a hair, which is also, I, I'm, I'm sure is in 50, I'm sure we could find 50 fantasy books where, you know, the hero is sent off with his wife's braid. Oh, yeah. Um, I mean, this is this is straight up the hero's journey again. But Yeah, absolutely. Because that's all well, that's all Lucas, I think, knows how to do anymore. But what I loved is she's so good at it. She, the actress was so good. I absolutely believed she missed him. When she yeah. says, never been apart. I believed that. I believed they were a couple. I absolutely believed them. Um, 100%. You know, uh, and that's pretty awesome. Anyway, off they go. In the meantime, we go back to the castle. Sorsha, who is the queen's the queen's daughter, she goes and says, we found the dead nursemaid. We can't find the baby. In comes General Kale, uh, who has returned from destroying someplace, who I'm sure yells about it. The queen assigns the general to help Sorsha sort it, you know, find this baby. This mom is kind of a bitchy mom. The queen does not treat her kid well. And at one point, you know, one of the, the seers says, you know, I, I, we foresee that she will betray you. It's like, and he says, I trust her more than I trust you. Sweetie, he's part of the, the seers union. He's got the union card and the beard and the cloak. Listen to him. Well, he, that's part of the formula, though. Well, of course, of course. You know, the funny thing is, is that these people, the prophecy isn't that someone will arrive and maybe disp- uh, depose you if you don't knock the- if you don't kill them it's no no this person's going to arrive and, and and defeat you that's the destiny like doesn't matter what you do you're fucked you know yeah. and i'm i'm waiting for the first story about a queen who sees the baby and says screw this packs her bags and leaves you know because she realizes she can't she can't <laughs> well, I'm done. yeah i'm done yeah the prophecy says so you know you know, it's a, it's a handy way to show that Sorsha is not, you know, Sorsha is not going to be loyal because, of, of course, she's not. Anyway, we go back to the, uh, you know, t- to the Elwins and they come to the crossroads where there are these medieval, you know, these hanging cages. And inside is Mad Mardigan, which I always assumed was like, you know, a guy named Mardigan who is insane. But no, his name is Mad Mardigan. It's one word. Okay. And... Yeah, it's just Mad Mardigan, I'm pretty sure. Um, I thought it it was Mad Mardigan. Yeah, like insane Mardigan. 
one point I wanted to make, and this kid has 100% of the time since the midwife rescued her, mm-hmm. been in the care of someone who knows babies. The midwife, well, the river, maybe not, but, yeah. <laughs> but, but clearly Willow's good with kids. Yeah, his well, wife, does, yeah. he's got two kids, right? Yeah. So he's learned how to change a diaper and, you know, yeah. and how yeah. to put food in one end and go out the other. Yeah. And, and I really God, appreciate when you put that. it that they way. Didn't just, oh, yeah. man. Yes, they just squirt go out both ends all the time. Thank, thank you. Um, this is why I have no children. Um, <laughs> no, but you're absolutely right. Like, um, and, and he, it's just one of those details I appreciate because in, in a bunch of the books I've read, Mm. Where an, a baby's abandoned, some random guy picks it up and magically knows how to take care of a freaking baby. Yeah, exactly. Um, like he makes a point of saying, you know, he needs milk, and you know, why are you giving him black root? And and later on, like the baby needs to be changed. Like he isn't just hauling around the baby; he's caring for the baby, and you see the way he moves. It's pretty cool. Uh, though that is the most well-behaved baby I've ever encountered. I've never seen a baby that doesn't cry ever. Um, because this movie would be maddening if it was nothing but a screaming baby for two hours. Like I would, I, yeah. I couldn't, I couldn't. She's no. not just any baby though. She's a Lord. That's, Dan. that's right. Yeah. The baby knows what's going on. Yeah. Baby knows what I love is things like, you know, the first, Matt and Mardigan's first demand isn't let me out. It's please just give me some water. You peck. I like that. That's what they call. I mean, I don't like it because it's an epithet, but it's, they call the Eldwins pecks. Out of the way, Peck. First thing another human says to him, and you know, give me some water, you Peck. Um, I love it because first off, Willow's never left the valley, and yet he obviously knows Peck is meant as a uh, an epithet, uh, and he he resents it, but at the same time, he doesn't like. It just Mad Mardigan stops using the term on his own. He doesn't learn his lesson and say, I will never use that again because you have proven yourself and I am humbled. No, he just, he stops using it. The more he becomes involved in this quest, like the closer he goes to them, the less vile he becomes. But again, he's Han Solo. He's the rogue with a, with a heart of gold. And pretty much. Yeah. So they sort of hang out, burgle cut and the warriors go home you know, Willow and, and the friends stick around listening to, you know, Mad Mardigan beg them for water and to be let out. An entire army marches by, or as he says, 300 horses and a thousand fools. Uh, I like that. That was, that was a nice way to describe it. That was a it. good line, yeah. And that's where we meet Ulrich, which is the character of the actor who passed. And he says, you know, What are you doing in Spartan North? The Nocturne Army destroyed Galadorn. The castle? That more of his troops are crushing everything inside. Well, come on, let me out of here, Eric. Give me a sword. I'll win this war for you. Mad Mardigan. I still serve Galadorn. You serve no one. And what I like is that's actually part two to the to a scene we saw with Sorsha, remember? Where General Kale comes back and I have returned from destroying such and such a village. And now we see the other end of that, which is some army from somewhere. I think it may actually be the army of the place that was destroyed, is now marching off. I like that, you know, we're seeing things play out that have nothing to do with Willow. Like the world doesn't revolve around this kid. And I really, really like that. It's, it reminds me a little bit of some of the, the, the more interesting details that Peter Jackson puts in the Lord of the Rings. There's a lot going on, whether or not the hobbits are involved. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like there's stuff going on and they don't even know who the hobbits are. 
the only reason the hobbits are important is one of them has this ring. But even so, armies are on the move. Things are happening regardless. And it's the same thing here. It's almost a ripoff. Yes, there's this baby. Yes, they need to find her. Yes, they need to do this ritual, which seems to take forever when they finally do it. But a lot is happening anyway. Like, you know what I mean? Like stuff is happening whether this kid is born or not. And I like that. In any case, they do eventually let Med Mardigan out. And because Willow is desperate to get home um, against his better judgment, he hands off the kid to Med Mardigan. And that's kind of it for that. They're wandering back through the forest. You know, my least favorite characters appear in the movie because, you know, Willow's like, yeah, we're going to be heroes. We deserve medals. And then we see the, the eagle fly overhead with the baby and the annoying little French guy. Hey, so, the baby. Baby. so they chase after it. They get attacked by, are they brownies or pixies? Brownies. Brownies, right. Tiny little Lilliputians, let's be honest. They get captured. Two of them, one who stole the baby. It's Kevin Pollock and some other, I think another stand-up comedian. I'm not sure why they chose these bad fresh French accents, but it completely ruins them as characters to me because they're bad accents. I, yeah, I, did, I didn't even pick up that it was supposed to be French. We'll never keep up with those horses. Then we will have to track them. That would take forever. Besides, even if we find them, they'll catch us, stick us in cages, torture us, and finally devour us. Are you suggesting we go home? Nah, this is more fun. All right. Uh, I did pick up that it was a little, uh, little put, though. Yeah, and and she's got giants and tinies and yeah, yeah. So they take the kid off to talk to the brownies' pet wizard, uh, sorceress. Queen. I'm not sure what she is. She's the queen. Oh, is she the queen? Oh, okay. Brownie. And oh, okay, uh, the queen it's, of well, the, it's all it's very very fey. Glenda the good witch uh, can speak to the baby <laughs> and says, you know, she likes you, Willow. You must go on this quest. And there will be a fellowship that goes with you of nine. Wait, no, that's a different movie. But yeah, pretty much it's the kid likes you. So these two, these two annoying little French brownies will go with you. He heads off to a Daikini village where he comes across, you know, the same tavern that they found Strider in, in the next movie. And your generic rogues gallery where there's always some dude with an eye patch and a knife that says, didn't you kill my brother? We found a hive of scum and villainy. Yeah, pretty much. You know, there are at least two games on steam where you manage a fantasy tavern and it's because it's so goddamn bog standard, stereotypical, the the the, box. Yeah. Check the box. And you know, he goes, you know, he, he sort of, gets bounced around because he's a tiny guy. He's just trying to find milk for the kid. They call him a peck. They throw food at him. Um, he winds up stumbling into a room where Val Kilmer's character is again. And oh, don't forget the brownies foreshadowing the love portion. Oh, right. That's right. He, uh, one of them has a, what was it? Essence of heartbreak or some such thing. He whacks the other one on the nose with it. And he falls in love with uh, Kevin Pollock's character falls in love with a rat or a mouse or something. Cat. And it's a it's cat. That's right. Um, he's, wearing, he's wearing a mouse hat and he falls in love with a cat. Right, 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 right. The cat has um, no freaking idea what's going on. Yeah, and the cat goes meow and he doesn't jump up onto that support from a chair. He's thrown there by the meow. It was really a stupid scene. I can, um, I can almost not see the wires. Yeah, it was, you know, this is the problem. Like Kevin Pollock is actually a, a fine actor or he would become that. But the part, the parts they wrote for these two are awful. And the special effects are terrible. Anytime they superimpose them onto 
uh, Willow's satchel or to his, you know, his belt pouch. It, it's so obvious that he's not there. It's, it's not just a thin black line. That's like an eighth of an inch black line. That's, yeah. And the motion yeah. is wrong. And it was just, I don't know. I. That's terrible. Of course he falls in the beer. Uh, yeah, yeah, that's right. That's right. He falls in the beer. You know, um, there's an there's a an edited a fan edited version of Star Wars Episode One that eliminates Jar Jar Binks, <gasps> and I w- I wonder if there's I know your favorite character, right? I often wonder if there's a version of Willow without these two, but probably not. That sounds so much better without Jar Jar. I hate that guy. Yeah, he's a, yeah. Misa don't like him either. Anyway, uh, he didn't like any of those three, but. That's yeah, no. that's me being old and grumpy. So yeah, Mad Mardigan has obviously been screwing around with someone's wife, and the husband is about to come home. So they dress him up in, in women's clothing. They give him, you know, quadruple D boobs. Of course they do. Uh, ha ha! Isn't that funny? Yeah, I husband, could, I could I could skip this scene. Like it, there's the. It's a silly scene, you know, and, and the creepy husband is grabbing her and it's like, do you want to breed? Tempting, but no. And then Sorsha shows up with the troops. They drag him around. She tries, like, you, at this point, uh, Mad Morgan has the baby again. Sorsha tries to grab it. He pushes her back. He's like, you're pretty strong for a woman. Of course, tears mm-hmm. off the mask. You're not a woman. And then that is when the husband goes, not a woman. Starts, you yeah. know, starts a bar brawl, whatever. They whatever. escape. And then there's the check a box. There is the escape on the wagon. Yep. And we, I'm sure we've done this, this scene before. I mean, well, it was Raiders. Were, there the were Lost even Arms. Wilhelm screams in there for you. There are two Wilhelm fucking screams in this I movie. Not them. one. There are two. Two. Damn it. Now I have to include that sound effect. Son of a bitch. Um, I actually have that sitting around somewhere too, but it's a terrible scene with, you know, the, with, with Willow and the baby in the back and uh, Mad Mardigan, you know, slowly shedding one boob and then another boob and then the, the wig and, you know, the enemy riding up beside and jumping on. And like, this is the same scene done bad, done worse than the scene on the, on the truck where uh, Indy was trying to get the arc. Uh, how many times have we seen this scene? It's kind of annoying. Um, but Willow finds his courage. So yeah, Willow finds his courage, and it ends exactly as you expect it to, which is they not, you know, they get rid of the troops, they ditch the uh, the wagon, they wander off, they you know, Mad Mar- they separate. Yeah. yeah, and then and then Mad Morgan pretends, oh gosh darn, I'm going in the same direction. I guess I'll go with you because of course he's trying. You know, he's he he's slowly being won over by the charm of the kid and and by Willow. So you know, there's another quick scene with the general saying we failed you again and her yelling and saying, find the child. Like they keep doing it and doing it and doing it. This is the equivalent of the scenes in empire strikes back where the emperor shows up as a hologram and says, find me Skywalker. I mean, it's it's the same scene. They hang out that night. They have conversations. I don't even remember what they talked about sitting around that fire. Oh, that's right. He had, we, we missed something. And it's funny because when I watched the movie, I missed it too. Uh, Glinda the Good Witch gives him a twig, which is like a, a powerful oh, the magic uh, wand. Yeah, the go, magic find wand. The, yeah. go find the Griselda or whatever. No, that's the that's Griselda's the cook from the f- hilarious House of Frightenstein <laughs> or whatever. <laughs> oh, hi! I'm Griselda. <laughs> whatever um, she was yeah. 
she's awesome. Yeah, she's uh but yeah, he practices the magic. Obviously, he's not very good at it. The next morning we see that uh Mad Morgan's feeding the kid black root. Willow says, You never give a baby black root. And he says, I was raised on black root. So, you know, you said before that everyone the baby winds up with knows something about kids. I guess I, I get the impression Mad Mardigan knows a little something too. Just the way, you know, feeding him the bits of black root and he knows how to give it to the kid and by chewing it up and Yeah. Like like he's he's trying not to, but he does. Yeah. Yeah. Like at first it grows on him. Yeah. Um, and that's kind of neat. So they they wander down to an abandoned fishing village. Mad Mardigan sort of heads off. Willow gets on a boat, heads off to this dinky little island where he discovers that the uh the sorceress he's waiting for is now a, uh, what kind of animal is that? Uh, Google says it's a great possum. Finn Rizel, by the way, is her name. Someone says it's a brush tail possum. Common brush tail possum. Australian oh. possum. Neat. Okay. So it's a, yeah, her name is Finn Rizel and she's from t which is the name of the kingdom, the castle that's destroyed and that Eric and his, uh, his troop is going off to avenge. It's t Anyway. Turns out Bavmorda, who is Finn Rizel's rival and banished her to the island, turned her into a possum. She takes, you know, she hitches a ride back to the village. He tries to, you know, change her back by giving, uh, by a spell she's taught him. It doesn't work. Sorsha shows up with Mad Mardigan and he is convinced, and so are the two, two little French brownies, that Mad Mardigan has betrayed them. And instead of playing off that by saying, yes, he did. So see, we found him without you. And then knocks him off his horse. Like, you know, that's the one thing. Another pass of the script. Maybe they would have said, yes, he did betray you. And maybe Sorsha tries to play Mad Mardigan off against the others. But whatever. There's only so much you can do. This, you know, we've already said this film goes a cut above by taking that time to explain stuff. So not getting clever. You can hardly blame them for it, really. Yeah, um, you know, there's only so much you can hope for. So off they go, being dragged along. The brownies are forced to track them on foot. You know, Mad Mardigan puts Willow on his shoulder. He sort of angry flirts with Sorsha. Oh, I'm looking at your leg. I'd like to break it. Uh, things <laughs> like that. You know, at one point uh, she says, "You know, you've lost your your dress," and he says, "I still got what counts." She says, "Not you know, not for long." You know, it's it's <laughs> clear there's some there's some hate flirting there. But again, it's clear the actors, you can always tell when a couple of actors playing a couple on screen have no chemistry, like they don't like each other. When they, when the director yells cut, they, they go their separate ways. I'm always thinking of Hayden Christensen and um, Natalie Portman in Star Wars Episode Two. Like, is there a couple with less charisma, less connection than Anakin and Padme? Nope. Worse like, ever. Is there anyone who believes those two were a couple? She's an adult. He's a teenager right up until the end. I never once believed they fell in love. And part of that is the writing is really wooden. But part of that is the actors clearly didn't jive. Hayden Christensen, who is, by the way, a brilliant actor. If you've ever seen the amazing film Shattered Glass, which is the true story of... um, I can't think of his last, his last name was Glass. I can't remember his first name. He cooked stories. He he faked stories for the New Republic, which is like a serious political magazine in the States. And it turned out he was, um, he was making the stories up and it's the story of how he was caught. And Hayden Christensen did an immense job on that film. It's incredible. Cool, yeah. Super, super interesting. True story too. 
Anyway, so how the hell do we get on this? Oh yeah, yeah. So these that guys have chemistry. Yeah. yeah, these guys have chemistry, and they really, really do. It's I mean, they got married after the film. Um, they're not married anymore, to, to my understanding, but that's unfortunately a Hollywood thing. So anyway, they get dragged to a you know to a camp. The uh, what do you call it? The uh, the two French brownies catch up with them. How they do that, I could not tell you. And I don't care because they're uninteresting. Willow manages to use the wand, but he does it badly and ter- turns uh, Finrazel into a crow. He's like, well, first into a goat and then into a crow. And I was like, hello, you it, idiot. It gradually gets better. She, she gets bigger and bigger. Yeah, that's right. So, um, yeah, crow, crow is next. That's right. And at some point, is this where, yes, this is where uh, the brownies are trying to pick the lock to the cell. And um, Mad Mardigan takes the spear out of his hand and says, give me back my spear and whacks him in the nose with the the essence of heartbreak, whatever. And he does get out of the cell and he winds up bumping into Sorsha and falls in love with her, which creates a little bit of a scene. They take her hostage. They escape in the most unrealistic and actually pretty funny scene of they get on a uh, willow and the baby and Mad Mardigan get on um, a shield and head down the mountain. That was cute. It was yeah, def- it was, definitely definitely not in the in a inflatable life raft down a mountain. It's the same damn thing. And Mad Mardigan falls off the back, and when he eventually catches up, he's rolling in a snowball, which was really funny because you could tell that it was constructed. It's got an outer shell, and then the inside for the stuntman. It's 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 obviously a lot of padding. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. So it's funny they, though. Yeah, it was so they, terrible, but it was funny. Oh, it was absolutely. So they they wind up in a, in another village, and they have just enough time to hide in the cellar of one of these places before Sorsha and General Kale and the others show up. This is where they find Eric and a bunch of the survivors of that battle from before. They're the only ones who survived. One thing we did forget to mention is that when Eric came by, he says, "You know, I always knew Mad Mardigan that you would find you find your way into a crow's nest." And he says, "Let me out of here. Give me a sword and let me win this war for you." And he says, "No." Arik just leaves him there to die. And of course, it's quite possible he would actually have just fled and not fought in that war. But this time when Arik and Mad Mardigan meet, you know, Arik says, this guy is a thief. He's never going to help you. He's not going to help this kid. And Mad Mardigan looks at Arik and says, I serve. Does he say I serve the child or I serve the. uh, The the Elwin. The Elwin. Yeah. And that's like at this point, he's bought into it. Part of that is he's still high um, <laughs> with a love potion, but whatever. In the meantime, Sorsha comes down the stairs. They take her hostage. They all ride off on a horse. There's a chase. You know, there's a sword fight, whatever. And they're riding along. And she's trying to figure out, why are you saying all these romantic things to me? And he says, yeah, I don't think that anymore. And there's a really cute little scene. He says, what do you mean you don't love me anymore? He says, well, it went away. He said, you dwell in darkness without me? And it went away? <laughs> Which is a funny line. It's it's one of the lines that has always stuck yeah. with me. I like um, that one. Yeah. yeah, and so she, you know, she knocks him off the horse. She escapes. They run off. Whatever. They find their way to Tira's Lee, which is this white castle. So I'll let you guess whether it's good guys or bad guys there. I love how like the, the I love the way they show that it's cursed. People trapped in ice, clear crystal, crystal uh, something else, and there are trolls there. We know that because he's. He steps into troll shit. Of course he does. It's kind of funny because as they're sort of wandering around, he comes across a an armory. And when he comes running out of the armory, he's in this, he's now in his hero garb, right? He's yeah. in the the golden armor with the black underground and he's or the, the black uh 
uh, underclothing, and he's got that stupid helmet on, which, of course, he loses right away because we want to see Val Kilmer's face. But now he's in full-on hero mode, and I could probably just stop here, you know, and let you fill in the rest of the film. I like that he sets up the clever traps. He home, he home owns this whole castle. Oh, yeah. He, uh, he home owns the castle. Uh, there's a fight. It's, you know, the Sorsha's troops versus Alric and a bunch. Oh, no, actually, Alric comes later. Sorsha's troops versus uh, Val Kilmer versus the trolls. And at one point, and this was hilarious, they use. How is it he he turned the troll into the creature? Oh, he he badly uses the wand on him. And this is is where he drops one of his acorns, too, isn't it? He loses an acorn and it turns one of the boards to stone. And then you're like, oh, wait. Maybe legit. Yeah, it actually works. I still think he got it from another wizard, but that's another matter. Um, Yeah, so one of the trolls becomes a big two-headed creature right out of, like, Clash of the Titans. And it's hilarious because Sorsha's troops flee the castle, and Mad Mardigan flees with them. And Sorsha looks down (laughs) off her horse, and Mad Mardigan (laughs) looks up at her. And he looks at the troops and the troops look at him and he runs back in. It's quite funny. It um, was good. Yeah. It, it was, it was just a cute moment. I wish we could include a, a, a clip, but it's, it's, it's a visual gag. There's more of a fight. They managed to kill the uh, dragon two headed, whatever. General Kale gets a hold of the baby. I've got the baby because he can't just say it like a normal human fucking being. And he manages to charge out just as Eric and his troops catch up. So now, you know, now Mad Mardigan has an army. We are an army. Wait, that's a different James Horner that's movie. Different, Sorry, yeah. Different movie again. <laughs> I'm so confused. So well, anyway. The same music though. You're close. Yeah, pretty much. It's not a surprise I'm confused. So anyway, all the good guys sort of gather up and head off to Queen Bavmorda's fortress, which is a scary black fortress. I swear to God, it's the same fortress from Conan the Destroyer. I kid you not. It looks the it's same. Very, um, very it's generic. I mean, it's nice art direction, but it's generic. The queen goes to the ramparts with her unionized seers. She turns everyone into pigs, except for Willow, who chants a uh, a spell and protects the crow, you know, Finn Rizel and the brownies. And when it's over, he converts them all back into humans and they have an idea. She's a goat now. She's a goat. Well, no, she becomes human. Eventually he does convert her. Yeah, but, um, but now she's a goat and then right. she's... I'm I'm just I'm just fascinated by the series of animals she becomes. Yeah, always a little bigger. And at one point, doesn't she become an ostrich? <laughs> she's an ostrich for a yeah. minute. She's, she's a turtle um, at one point, and it's yeah. yeah. So tortoise, yeah. Tortoise, yeah. yeah. It's kind of funny because you know the next morning, like he has an idea, and of course, because it's a movie, we don't get to hear the idea. That's like the worst trope ever when the hero says, "I have an idea." And then we don't get to learn it you know, yeah. until we see it in action. Like, I get it. It's how you build a little bit of suspense. And then we get to experience the surprise with the bad guys. But, like, there comes a point. Someone's got to find a more clever way to do that. Because it's been done endlessly. I mean, I think I just saw that in a Star Trek Discovery episode that I watched a few oh, days no. ago. Like, from season three or something. By the way, season four is amazing. You got to watch it. It's pretty damn impressive. Yeah. In any case, the next morning, it's... Eric's army appears to be gone. There's nothing but, you know, collapsed tents and everything. And it's Finn Rizal, who's now an old woman. Oh, and we we should give her credit. This is where she becomes a human and realizes she's an old lady now. And I like that they give her a moment to mourn over that. Yeah. You know, Has it been you know, this long? Yeah. yeah. Like in a moment, I will be transformed into a beautiful sorceress. And like this woman's, you know, a wizened old crone. And I love that. And yet 
she's not hobbled over and oh poor me like she's still a woman of strength what i do love is that there are one two three four women of speaking characters in this movie there's kaya his wife yep there's sorsha there's finn rizel and there's bav morda they're all strong confident intelligent even Sorsha, who, of course, during the fight with the two-headed whatever, winds up giving in and falling in love with uh, with Mad Mardigan, and she's on his side. She's never an 80s girl. No, the, the only 80s boobs are on Val Kilmer. Yeah. Yeah, that's 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 true. So anyway, Finn Rizel and, and Willow are standing out there. We will destroy you. So, of course, she sends out troops to kill them. And that's when we learn that the army, which, of course, has been converted back, has been hiding in pits, they managed to dig into the ground without the enemy noticing because, of course, they didn't. Whatever. And the battle begins. In the meantime, this ritual with the baby has been going on all night. So either they've been re- they've been misreading the user manual or this is a long-ass ceremony. Well, it takes a lot of work to send a baby to the dark, Oblivion. evil, dark dun- Oblivion. dimension, something, something. Yeah, the phantom zone, whatever. Yeah, it's... Whatever. What there's a fight. Like, there's a lot of little dishes. Uh, have you ever yeah. made Thanksgiving dinner, man? I haven't, but then I've also never banished a baby to the to the nether world's regions. I, I don't know. Yeah, it takes a long time to make 27 little bowls of stuff. I'll take your word for it. Uh, but did you have did you have unionized seers to help you? No, I had slightly drunk Irish brothers. Ah, see, there was your... That was your first mistake. You, yeah. you, needed the, you needed the unionized Sears, none of that non-union help. Anyway, so there's a fight. There's a you know a few cute bits. It's mostly just a fight. I mean, it's a sword fight. Eventually, you get Finn Rizel versus Bav Morda, the Battle of the Old Crones. I actually like this fight more than the one in Lord of the Rings between Gandalf and Saruman. I was going to say, I believe this one, this fight between the two old powerful people more than the Fourth War one. Yeah. Well, you know what? It's clear these two have a have a past. Yeah. They um, have a history. They have power. They're pretty equally matched. Yeah. But this fight was way better than the two crazy old soldiers in, in like two, yeah. episodes, two movies ago. Two movies ago, yeah. And, and that's kind of funny. Uh, but yeah, it's... Uh, actually, I actually think it was just the last movie we did. No, no, it's two movies ago. You're right, we did do it. But yeah, I totally believed it. I would have... I would watch a prequel, like screw the sequel with Warwick Davis. I'd watch a prequel about these two sorceresses. Yeah. Yeah. I want to, I want to know the backstory here and I want to know why Eric is so mad at Mad Mardigan. Like that's a friendship retreat or something. Yeah. And that would be interesting too. Um, but I think that's a more recent thing. Like it's clear, like if she thought she was a, a young, beautiful woman, it's been 50 years as a possum on this Did island. You, um... Did you notice Bav Morda aging as the battle went on? I did. It actually starts right away. You see her when you first zoom in on her, when she's standing over the baby, that this ritual is taking a lot out of her. I wonder if they're the same age. Yes. And that Bav Morda has been using her magic to keep her young. Yeah. Yeah. It's magical Botox. And... Now that she has to use all of her powers to say nothing of a little bit of desperation, she's too tired to keep up the look of it. That is, you know, we talk, we always talk about the lines not said. That's the line I wanted to hear. 
Yeah. That is a line I would have wanted to hear. Finn Rizal makes some comment about, I guess the magic isn't working anymore or something like that. Because it's clearly that's what it is. But you know what? Your Botox wore off. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't notice she was aging until 30 seconds before you brought it up here. Just because I'm looking at the still image. Mm. Hey, she's getting older. It had not dawned on me when I watched it yesterday. And she does, in fact, get older as the fight goes on, which is super cool. Sorsha gets involved in the fight. At one, and that's actually the first time we see Finn Rizal really use her power. Sorsha tries to throw her into a wall of spikes, as one usually has in their in their office. And what? Finn Rizal pushes her back in the other direction. You know, it's the one thing I did disliked was the line. I must despise you now. Who the fuck yeah. talks like that? I must despise you now. I get they were looking for some sort of high-minded, you know, some sort of high-minded dialogue that says, you have betrayed me, I must destroy you. But they didn't want to say that. But I must despise you now? Yeah. What? Like, it's just, it's just a bad line. Like, it's just... As a writer myself, it just strikes me as a bad line. Sorry. Yeah. Uh, they, you know. they, they, picked, they picked the wrong word out of this. Thesaurus, yeah. Yeah, um, yeah. One thing I will notice is that Finn Rizal, if you notice, she actually gets a little, just a little younger looking as the fight goes on. Stronger anyway. Yeah. Stronger, yeah. She always stands as straight up as she can. She never looks weak. Whereas Bav Morda looks continuously weaker and weaker and weaker. I do like how Willow gets involved and throws the uh, stone at her. And the way they play it up, that it starts to slowly work down her hand. You're thinking, this is how it's going to end. She's going to turn into a stone and then she'll crumble before her eyes with the music. Nope. <laughs> it's oh, powerful. stronger than that. But yeah. not that powerful. And But I love how he freaks her out with a parlor trick. Where he gets the disappearing piglet trick right, and she yeah. freaks the fuck out. Like she, goes, <gasps> like she has no idea how he did it because she's so deep into the magic. She is so she's a twelfth level level wizard dealing with a level one jester, and he freaks her the fuck out, but she doesn't expect it. It's awesome. Yeah, but it takes me back to Billy Barty, the high whatever, the high Nagus. Is that the real power is about wisdom and being smart? It's not yeah. actually about, because that's what gets her in the end. It's, they are smarter. They don't outpower. It's the magic of her people, of his people. Like it's his people's yeah. magic that wins. Yeah. Not, but it's, well, it's wisdom and it's love. And I think it's cool. She doesn't win because she's like, she's the most powerful. She's, she's a more powerful wizard than Finn Rizal. She would have won on her own. She would eventually have killed Finn Rizal. Yeah. But Willow. Like I said, Willow just defeats her with a parlor trick. I love it. I just love it. The stone acorn lets Finrizel recover from from being squished or whatever. Me. Yeah. And then, yeah. Yeah. And yeah. Eric dies. You know, as we go back to the fight, Eric dies. There's, a, of course, the boss fight between uh, General Gale. I will kill you! Or whatever he says. I'm sure he yells it. And Mad Mardigan. Okay. You know, there's the symbolism that you know General Gale is losing because his mask is broken. Yep. At least this time it wasn't a uh, a rotor blade from a Nazi flying wing, but okay. Um, okay baby steps. Yeah, baby steps. Uh, <laughs> it ends with him even a book of magic. Of course, now Sorsha is dressed in white because she's the good. She's one of the good guys now. Off he wa he rides on a uh, on a small white pony, and I love that this is a, a complete ripoff of the re essentially the return to Hobbiton. Yep. Return to the Shire. Yep. Return to the Shire, minus the whole Sharky and destruction thing. But like, it's like it is from the movie, where he just he yeah. rides in and everyone goes, "Look, it's Willow!" And then you know everyone's cheering, and and then you see Kaya, the wife, come in and and hug him. And again, I absolutely believe that relationship. I have no trouble believing 
that Kaya truly missed him and Willow truly missed her. They have quite the chemistry, those two. Man, she's a good actress. Like, she doesn't have a lot of screen time, maybe maybe five minutes, but yeah, she's but my favorite. She's great. She's really good. Like, she is, and a lot of it, I think, is her facial expressions. She's a, a very visual actor. You know, the only character, oh, sorry, the only actor of diminished size, little people, dwarf, whatever the term is, whoever really gets any, um, I mean, the, in, the, in the 80s, it was Billy Barty and, and Warwick Davis and, and, and these sorts of ones. But the only one who's ever been treated seriously as an actor is Peter Dinklage. Yep. Yes, in, in Game of Thrones, a lot of the joke is he's small, but he's a seriously good actor. Like that, You ever watch Game of Thrones? Oh, yeah. He's, a, he's an incredible actor in it. It's an incredible, it's the best acted part in the show. He's done some garbage too, but my understanding is he's done a couple movies where they simply ignore the fact that he's short and they just like, here's the actor, go. Yeah. Uh, what Good. limits him is his size. What limits yeah. is him his size? Because I'm sorry, it's Hollywood and it's just never going to be that way. Uh, and that sucks. But this actress, had she been born a generation later, she'd be right there with Peter Dinklage. Like, she's so good. And that's just sort of how it ends with them embracing and the kids embracing and, and you see the village and... And they lived happily. happily ever after. Until the sequel, which is coming out. God help us all. I love this film. I, I think it totally holds up. Except the special, the special effects and the French brownies, which are just annoying. But I love it. And my love of it was renewed when I watched it yesterday. Yeah. Um, would you show this one to your son? Do you think Absolutely. he'd be up Absolutely. I love the music. Like, not the the music throughout the film because it's just James Horner music. It's the same music from Star Trek two and three and curl. And I'm sure 20 other films, but the, the Willow theme is magnificent and the characterization is excellent. Excellent. I love watching Val Kilmer and Joanne Wally interact. It's very clear how that is. They wound up getting married when the film was over. Um, oh, yeah, there's you know, there definitely something there. Warwick Davis. He's not a great actor, um, but he does. Okay. He does fine. I believed he was a dad. I believed he wanted to do what was right for this kid. Like he was believable. Yep. Eric. Okay. He's in five, you know, he has five lines, but I believed he was who he said he was. Mad Mardigan. I believed he was a rogue though. He's a comic book character. He's actually the least believable character, yeah. you know? And it sort of comes back to, like you said, they, they fill in the details you know, the Alwyn village or the Alwyn village and Burgle cut, who is not a complete dick. He does appreciate a good, yep. you know, a good, he's just a, he's just a businessman. Yeah. And, and, you know, he appreciates a good trick when he sees one and that sort of stuff. And I like that. I, a lot of that, I get the impression is just Ron Howard. He's just so, he's a good director. There's a reason why the two directors, the, the I think they were brothers or just business partners, whatever, who were directing solo, you know, the Han solo origin story. I get why, when that movie fell apart, they said, get me Ron Howard because he's so reliable because he's so good. I don't think I've ever seen a movie because I didn't like Apollo 13, no. Da Vinci Code, Splash. Yeah. He's just, he's good. I want to mention it. Yeah. Yeah. One of his very first films was, uh, it's called Grand Theft Auto. I keep meaning to find, you know, he's, he's one of these guys. He's not as flashy as say a Spielberg or a Lucas He'll never go down as well known as, you know, the big guys like Francis Ford Coppola or whatever. But man, he's good at what he does. Uh, yeah, and by the way, his brother has gotten a uh, cameo in almost every film he's ever done. You're kidding. Yeah, no, he's, um, you'd recognize him if you saw him. 
he's uh his brother's been an actor since he was like three years old he was in uh the corbomite maneuver the original star trek episode he played the baby join me for tranya i hope you relish it as much as me that's uh that's as Ron Howard's uh, brother, yeah, he's been in Star Trek a bunch of times. He was uh, in Far and Away, which was, of course, another a magnificent Ron Howard film. That was the one with Tom Cruise and um, his then wife Nicole Kidman. You know, he did that film. That was that was about Irish, uh, an Irish family or Irishman uh, emigrating to um, to New York in the 1870s, and and it, that's like this guy's so good, and he did a great job of this. I would love to see him do like a Marvel movie. See, we could do something like that. Make you, maybe you can make it make it good. Um, <laughs> He's but. the one that messed up the Grinch, though. So I mean, it's 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 not all well, good. Was was that him? I haven't seen that one. But then I, the minute I see Jim Carrey, Jim I am Carrey, gone. I turn it off. Yeah. yeah, yeah. The only movie of his I ever ever liked, and I adore it, is um, The Truman Show. That's a wonderful film, The Truman Show. Mm, yes. Yeah, it's the least terrible of them. Yeah. Yeah. I just love it because I think he did a really good job and it's a heartfelt film. But anyway, so any last thoughts about Willow before we pull the plug on this? No, still love it. Love it. In accordance yeah. with the prophecy. In accordance with the prophecy. 